What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Chris Grenham and friend of the program, Brian Robb of MassLive.com. And today we're going to get into a couple of things. We're going to talk a little bit about Dennis Schroeder today at, at Celtics practice. He kind of uh, made the case that he wants to start. Sounds like he uh, he believes that he should be a starter. He did kind of talk around it, but we'll get into that stuff. Before we do that, Ime Udoka was asked about his rotation. Udoka had you know some interesting comments about that. Basically what he said was that there are nine or 10 Celtics who like that that's kind of like the number that he's comfortable with playing in a game. And there are 11 or 12 guys that the Celtics feel comfortable using. And obviously there can be some mixing and matching and some stuff, you know, that depends on certain matchups. But, you know, I'm curious just kind of what you guys made of those comments. What, what do you guys think about those numbers that Ime threw out there? I think it makes sense. I think one, it again, emphasizes how depth was a real issue on last year's team because trying to go that deep with last year's roster was honestly pretty difficult. And it, it really hurt the quality of play this year. Now the difficulty becomes, well, who are those guys that are locks for the rotation? Who are the guys on the back end? That back end of that rotation is going to be interesting to see how that breaks down. But I think it makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of guys who could be on a rotation of another team that might be on the outside looking in with this group. So interested to see how he works with the backcourt guys like Josh Richardson and Peyton Pritchard. I don't know. He could easily get squeezed out. Romeo Langford is a guy who I don't think is going to end up in there, but like maybe he could find a role. So I think there's some interesting battles that could happen toward the back end of that rotation conversation. I mean, even from a matchup to matchup base, you could make a case over the course of the week, you could be seeing, you know, a different group of three or four guys coming off the bench on a certain night. But what I think is another link wrinkle to this is as Ime has talked about just his style and his preference, he seems to be of a player's mentality of wanting to communicate when guys are going to play. And particularly with the starting five, he sounds like he wants to have a set group there and not potentially rotate a fifth guy in, which you make a case for that depending on the opponent. So I wonder how much of that is going to trickle down to the bench unit as well and the rotation in particular, where if you're in, you're in to start. And I'm sure obviously, you know, they'll be reevaluating as it goes, but it might be like a week to week type thing as opposed to a night to night type thing. If he is of the mind being like, these guys have to know that they're playing and they're going to, you know, they're not going to lose minutes if they have a bad stint or something like that, if he goes along those lines. Yeah, I wonder if that was a sticking point last year with Brad and, you know, just kind of, you know, Brad never seems to shy away from, especially on the in, in the center rotation, kind of moving guys around. I wonder if that's something that players might appreciate more on this year's roster behind Udoka. Was Coy Brad also Coy Brad with his players? Not only with the media, was he not sharing rotation and lineup minutes, but maybe surprise, you're starting five minutes before the game, you know, switching things up, maybe. Maybe. Makes you wonder who the Abby Chin was of the Celtics locker room who <laughs> was brave enough to ask Brad every time, like, Brad, am I starting or not? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'll defend Brad. Like, with last year's roster, I would I would not feel comfortable trusting no. anyone for more than five minutes on the back end of that roster. So It's harder to build a starting lineup when you have four good players. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> when you literally don't know where to turn quarter to quarter. But to his credit, I mean, it looks like he built a team here that, that that's not going to be a problem anymore. This is a good problem to have as opposed to figuring out, okay, who can I even you know count on to play for 15 minutes off the bench and not us have us get uh, crushed? So getting into just kind of the rotation itself, I think this is kind of an interesting exercise. You know, so there's obviously, you know, seven guys who you're just like, okay, for sure. That there's no question that that Jason Tatum is going to be in the, in the rotation. Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Rob Williams, Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, and Dennis Schroeder. After that, you know, it starts to get, I think, a little bit murkier just kind of in terms of, you know, how guys might shake out, you know, how those last, you know, three or four spots might go. Obviously there's, you know, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith, and then, you know, and then you start to have like Ennis Cantor, 
Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, before you even get to, you know, the Jabari Parkers and just kind of the end of the bench guys. So if you guys had to, you know, kind of predict where you see those kind of shaking out, who, who do you think might be out of those nine to 10? Just kind of how do you see that kind of bottom half of a potential rotation? I know Ime Udoka has said numerous times, don't read into the early preseason things. It's hard not to sometimes. So when you see a guy like Quancho being thrown out with some of the starters and getting those decent minutes and Ennis Cantor not getting any time initially, like that is certainly an interesting thing. I think we talked a lot earlier in the offseason about the fact that Ennis Cantor probably doesn't have a whole lot of minutes on this roster, just the way it is going to shake out. It's no benefit to the Celtics to force minutes on Ennis Cantor. It just doesn't make any sense. But in my mind, Quancho wasn't a potential guy to come in and steal minutes from him. It was a much different equation in my head. So that is the first interesting one that comes in to my mind because I throw that Neesmith, Quancho, and Pritchard probably as that bottom three of the group of 10 or so. I don't know if you guys have the same thoughts. I just think Grant, Cantor, those might be some of the guys that are on the outside looking in, at least to start. Yeah, I mean, Udoa can say all he wants. Don't read into my rotation. But when you're a rookie coach with four preseason games, you're not going to be fooling around. Right. Like, yeah, Hernan Gomez might not be in the starting five. That's pretty obvious. But if you're playing with the starters, he's probably going to be in your rotation. Yeah. And so guess what? They played 10 guys in the first half the other night. I'm 100% ringing into that. Wancho, Pritchard, and Neesmith group. And then you saw Grant, Katime, Cantor, and Lankford in the second half with Lankford and, and Cantor being late in the fourth quarter. So to me, that's like, okay, those are the dividing lines right now in terms of the 12, 13 guys he's comfortable playing, I think that group is pretty clear. And is that group going to fluctuate a bunch over the course of the year? Probably, but based on a week at training camp, I think that's probably where things lie right now. Yeah, I think it's fair to say like, well, don't read into this. Like, you know, some of these guys might earn their way in. Maybe somebody started slow during training camp and they might have a bigger role later on. But especially with guys like Romeo, especially with guys like Ennis, especially with guys like Grant Williams, it is very hard to like not be like, okay, I mean, this is just not a guy who has differentiated himself. It's probably also fair to say that Wancho probably has differentiated himself at least a little bit if, you know, he's getting those starting minutes. And not that Wancho is going to be a starter, but just that certainly I would guess that he has played better than those other guys at this stage. Yudoka seems pretty clear that it's like 12 guys that they feel comfortable with. If you go through the depth chart, you know, you get past Pritchard, Neesmith, you know, Wancho 10. Then you have basically like three guys for those last two that the Celtics are comfortable with. And I am fascinated (laughs) to know who those last three guys are. Like, so it's Ennis, Romeo, Grant. Which one of those guys is out? I'm curious to see what Grant looks like over the next couple preseason games because he did have some nice stints in the second half. And the whole point of him losing weight was to be able to kind of defend smaller guys. And he stayed in isolation with a couple guys pretty well in the Orlando opener. So I thought that was a good sign. I mean, that's the whole reason why he slimmed down. He's also talked consistently this offseason about how comfortable he feels shooting right now. And of course, that's a classic offseason line. But, you know, he came in and immediately knocked down a three in the third quarter. If he can turn into that actual like switchable defender, like who can stay with some of those smaller guys, he then serves as some pretty serious competition with Romeo there. I still don't really think there's a a lot of room for Cantor. I don't know. From a development standpoint, Grant and Romeo should be ahead of Cantor. Cantor is there for insurance. I will say this, like on nights where they're shooting 35%, probably a good idea to throw a canter in there to get all those offensive rebounds. So like that's a nice resource to have. But when you look at just development and trade value of guys, if that's a potential goal for the front office in the first half of the season here, you would think that Grant and Romeo have to be in a spot where they're, you know, ahead of canter. But on nights that Al rests, that's just like, okay, Cantor, you're, you're the backup center. Here you go. 
yeah, Cantor in particular seems like a guy who could just be very situational. And I mean, you know, like that was also the case the last time he was here too, to an extent, although, you know, he, he got consistent minutes, but I mean, he was also like very much just the Joel Embiid guy. He certainly played that role before, but B-Rob, yeah, I, 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 th- I really think that like the trade value of potentially, you know, like, or like the trade potential of Romeo and Grant is probably being a little under discussed because I, like, there's no way those guys are getting their extensions. Like you're not signing those guys to anything uh, beyond this contract this summer or anything. And we're already at that point of talking about it. So I, I, I would not be at all surprised to see those guys on the move if there's any teams out there who are interested in taking a flyer on them. The other thing I was going to say just on the depth chart discussion was all of this has kind of reaffirmed my thought that there is no reason to keep Jabari Parker on this roster. Like if guys do start to go down or you need to fall like and go grab someone from the back end of the roster, like he's not really in a spot of need where they have more guys with size to a point where like you might need a wing or a shooter or something like that. I just don't really see Jabari serving much purpose at the bottom of that roster compared to maybe a wing option or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the I think Hernan Gomez's that acquisition was very bad news for Jabari. And then especially if you don't start big in the starting five, then it's just you're buried on the depth chart if you're Jabari Parker. So and to your point, Chris, like there could be a need for, hey, how about a shooting specialist as a 15th man? You have Hauser obviously on the on a two-way deal. So that, but he's a rookie and you, you have some, you know, not proven veteran guys, but guys that can show, has shown on the NBA level that they can, you know, knock down open looks and particularly like a Garrison Matthews type. So I think that the competition for that spot will be there. And I could also see them being like, hey, let's just carry 14 guys, whether we need it be a trade or, you know, we just want to save money against the tax. I could see that being an option too. So yeah, but if, if I was Jabari Parker, I would not feel like super, I mean, we'll see how the next week plays out, but would not feel super great about my, my odds of being the 15th man. Yeah, if I'm Jabari Parker, I'm listening to Emay talk about how there's 12 guys they trust and kind of one, two, three, four. I don't like, like, I don't like those numbers. Oh boy. <laughs> this is not good. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like I just Garrison Matthews makes a lot more sense to have at the back of the roster. But your point on them, you know, potentially keeping 14 or whatever, I think that makes a lot of sense. Brad has talked a lot about keeping as much flexibility, like as late as possible with the roster. And I think that makes sense. They can keep Jabari around for a little while, right before opening night when, you know, he's got one point something guaranteed. I think it's on the 19th or the 20th. So it's not like keeping him around for camp, at least for the time being, cost them any money extra. You got to look at him. If he wins a spot, he wins a spot. Like, great. Right. But if you can get rid of him before the guarantee date and maybe keep open some flexibility, like you were talking about, or bring in another training camp wavy across the league, like, I think that's a pretty appealing option for him in the front office. If Jabari Parker won a rotation spot for the first time in his career, it would be a very, very, I mean, I feel like every other rotation spot he's ever had is like, oh, he was a former number two pick. So this is the first time, you know, he might actually have to win one. I will be very surprised if he does. <laughs> if he wins a rotation spot, something went horribly, horribly wrong in training camp and the Celtics are in a lot of trouble. All right. Well, before we get into Dennis Schroeder, Grenham, you want to uh, give a little shout out to our pals over at the Shades on Beer Company? Always want to shout out our friends over at the Shades on Beer Company. They're the makers of the Geno Time Stout, not just the Geno Time Stout. They're the makers of plenty of delicious products. So if you're in the Boston area, if you're in Rhode Island, keep an eye out for all Shades on Beer Company products. If you're looking for Geno Time specifically, we've got some stores where they do have them. You can check out Craft Beer Cellar in Westford, Fort Point Market in Boston. 
which is in the seaport. Just Better Beer in Norfolk, RMA Craft Beer and Wine in Amesbury, and Dave's Fresh Pasta in Somerville. So those are all places that have Geno Time, the Geno Time Stout, which is, of course, our favorite. But you can keep an eye out for all of their products if you're a Celtics fan in New England and check out their beer garden and tasting room down in West Kingston, Rhode Island. So Dennis Schroeder, today he was asked basically like, you know, do you feel more comfortable starting? Do you feel more comfortable as the sixth man? Obviously, he had a lot of success in Oklahoma City in that bench role. And Schroeder, you know, basically said like, you know, well, I think everybody knows that I'm a starter, but, you know, I'm a winning player. I'll do whatever, you know, whatever the coach wants, whatever the team feels is necessary. Certainly felt very much like Schroeder believes that he should be a starter. And it's kind of interesting to me because if you look at, you know, over the course of his career, he's been in and out of the starting lineup in various spots. He's always kind of right on that cusp, right? Where, you know, his uh, last couple of years in Atlanta, he started almost all of the games that he played, you know, in Oklahoma City. He only started two out of the 65 games that he played in the his last season there. In LA last year, he starts all 61 that he plays. So just kind of interesting to me, like where the Celtics go with him. Like, obviously they could plug him in next to Marcus Smart. I do wonder, you know, Smart has talked like openly about finally getting that, uh, you know, lead ball handler designation. I think basically like, you know, all all the chatter about how Smart and Jalen and Jason are all going to handle the ball more to me maybe says that Schroeder makes more sense coming off the bench. Like they don't need him to spot up certainly, but curious what you guys think about Schroeder starting. Like, does that make any sense to you? And just um, where do you see the Celtics going there? I still think he makes more sense off the bench. I mean, it's a hard position for him to be in. Like, what is he supposed to say? No, I I prefer to come off the bench. Like, of course, he's going to say he wants to start. But I do think it's interesting how his answer to that question has kind of varied throughout the preseason year. He's always like, yeah, like I'm a team player or whatever, but I am a starter. Like, I just (laughs) want you guys to know I am a starter and I better be out there when the game is finishing. So all NBA players are going to say that. But I do think it matters to him. And on a contract year, of course, it's going to matter even more to him. He's got to go earn his money. So that makes sense. But having him come off the bench is a really, really luxurious spot for the Celtics. I think if you can work in some second unit lineups with him and Al Horford, play a little of that two-man game, that would be really, really great. Ime Odoka said today that they have run Al and Rob together for a decent amount of training camp and it's gone well. So who knows what they ultimately do with the bigs. But there's a lot of combination you could run with Schroeder off the bench that I think make a lot more sense than plugging him next to Smart, Tatum, and Jalen with, with the starters. I just don't think that's their best option. Yeah, I think that his creation is more viable off the bench for them, primarily for others, and even for himself, like getting to the line or just, you know, he's not the most willing shooter, but he can get to the rim. And there's not a lot of guys off the bench that can do this for this team right now. So the the end of game stuff will be fascinating to me because you could see him, you know, you could see him being the fifth guy out there uh, against certain teams, but the jump shot has to be there for that to happen most nights. Because I think if you have him and Smart out there at the end of games, like, you know who's taking all those shots because everyone else is doubling up on Brown and Tatum in those instances and letting, getting those guys to beat them. So how his shooting comes along will probably factor in a lot to that. And also to your guys' point, like there, there's been too much smart point guard talk to go away from that now. Like they were talking this up during summer league. If they go in there and put another point guard next to him to start it, then I could see that happening at some point during the year, but starting the year like that, I don't see it happening. Smart seems grumpy enough about something, like whatever it is that Smart is grumpy about. He seems plenty grumpy enough without Dennis Schroeder uh, intruding on his hard one Mm -hmm. starting slot. The closing lineup is fascinating to me because like, yeah, I mean, I mean, you could certainly see him in there and, and, and uh, 
And, and yes, also there's concerns about like who's going to take the shots if the other teams are doubling up on Jalen and Jason. But that's also the case if Josh Richardson is in the game. That's also the case if Rob Williams is in the game. And it's like, well, that kind of comes back to one of the major issues the Celtics have, which is just like, I don't know how much scoring depth there is on this team. And is Schroeder scoring depth? Like 15 a game last year is, is pretty good, but it, you know, he didn't do it as a shooter. So th- that's kind of a fascinating angle of it is like, I could absolutely see Schroeder in that closing lineup, but it's not like his skill set differentiates him so much over guys like Richardson that I'm like, that I feel confident in saying that I think he's going to be there. Yeah, I don't think it does. And I also just don't really think his skill set would benefit being next to guys like Smart, Jalen, and Jason in a closing lineup. Again, a lot of this can be matchup based. And so maybe against some teams he would if they're running small, but I don't know. And I'm, I'm still very unsure about that scoring depth because wasn't a good preview we got in the opener. The backcourt did not look very good. I think what he finished one for eight, one for seven, something like that. So who knows? Granted, that's just a preseason overreaction off of one game here, but I still think it just makes far more sense his skill set with the second unit. And against most teams, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for him to close next to those guys. I just don't really think it complements those guys all that well. And it'll be it'll be fascinating to see just how he reacts to that situation. If he yeah. is, you know, I think it's safe to say I'll get 20 minutes a night regardless. But if he's routinely not out there in crunch time, given his everything that's happened to him in the past year, that'll be a fascinating subplot. Yeah, you can well, say you're you're a team player all you want, but once you get stuck in that situation where you're like, man, I got to get my contract next year, this could be a problem. Yeah, it gets to game 20 and you're averaging like 9.4 points per game and you're just like, <laughs> this is $5.9 million money again. I don't like this at all. I spent $5.9 million flexing on Instagram to prove that it doesn't matter that I only got $5.9 million. So <laughs> This is an issue. <laughs> I will say this though, he is an alternative to Smart in some closing lineups on nights where Smart doesn't have it. Right. And they really haven't had that before. And so I don't expect that to be happening much, but that's another subplot to this. If he if he ends up starting the year and is, you know, outplaying smart, which could happen. Yeah, that's actually a great point because in my head, when I'm talking closing lineups, like at least with this roster, I just pencil smart in because smart's yeah. their point guard, whatever. But you're right. It, they haven't had options outside of smart. Like for instance, when Kemba isn't playing, smart's been the point guard and they don't really have those other backcourt options. Now they do. So you're right. Smart might not always be in there and that certainly opens up some nice scenarios for Schroeder. One other kind of point of caution for Schroeder too, is, you know, he was talking today about how like he's not used to switching everything. And, and I, I thought it was interesting that Ime Udoka basically was like, well, that was the game plan for the first night. We might not be switching everything every single game, which was like, okay, yeah, there's been a lot made of the switch everything. And, and you know, maybe it's not the only thing that Ime Udoka knows how to do defensively. But, you know, if they do start doing that, that's not going to be easy for Schroeder. Like Schroeder is not a guard up kind of guy. I mean, he's got length, but I mean, you know, he's, he's listed at 6'3". I don't, he can switch some things, but I think there's going to be uh I think there's going to be lineups where it's difficult for him to be that guy who can guard a bunch of different positions. Yeah, I mean, if you're Dennis Schroeder and Ennis Cantor, you're listening to Odoka talk about these switching lineups, you're like, this is not good. <laughs> this is this is not good. Schroeder, I trust more to maybe work into it than Ennis Cantor because Ennis Cantor is never going to touch the floor if they're switching everything. That will get ugly if for Cantor, but... Sure, at least, you know, with OKC, like they went for the three guards lamp. Like, like I said, the length helps him a lot. And so, yeah, he's not going to be able to, again, hold off guys in the post and things like that. But if he's your weakest link defensively, you're still in pretty good shape out there. Yeah, he is quick. Like he moves pretty well laterally. And you're right. The length kind of helps make up for some of that stuff. He plays hard. So I totally agree. There are worse options to have in a switching system. Than Better than Kemba. Shooter. Better than Kemba. That's, that's very, very true. That is true. That is a, a, a low bar to clear in terms of switchability, but it is uh, it is true. Last thing I wanted to touch on here, just because it kind of made me chuckle during Emay's press conference. 
he was asked if like he's a guy who's going to complain to the referees a lot. Yudoka said, no, like that's not the team I want to be. And I got to ask, is he directly calling out Jason Tatum? <laughs> like is Ime Yudoka just taking swipes at Jason Tatum right away in his uh, tenure here? That is one way for Udoka to get in good graces with Celtics fans immediately. Just start yelling at Jason Tatum because of him yelling at the refs and Celtics fans will be all in on Ime Udoka right away. Yep, that, I don't think I've seen as positive as a reaction to that, any quote during training camp as that. It's nice to say, we'll see if it gets some action. That might be one of the first true tests in terms of the way he carries with this group, if those words carry some uh, some force behind them. That really is like the one major flaw with Tatum. It's just like, dude, you got to stop slamming the ball on the floor. Like you're just asking for a technical. It's just stupid. Every time you do it, you got to stop doing that. So also it takes him out of place sometimes yeah. like defensively. It'll take him away from the other end. You're just like scratching your head. This is not good. <laughs> It will be interesting to see if Jason Tatum demands a trade after Ime Udoka called him out publicly with the media. But I think we can leave it there for right now. Appreciate everybody uh, who listens, who's given us a a five-star rating or a review. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you know where to find us. And we will talk to you all again later this week.